0: episode of All Have Another is brought to you by Generation You Can. Generation You Can is a revolutionary super starch that changes the way you energize. This is a slow-releasing natural carbohydrate that keeps your blood sugar steady and stable and delivers energy for your brain and your body. I love this product. I felt so good using it on my long runs when I was training last summer. Can't wait to start using it again in my training this summer, which is Hello, people. I get to start running again tomorrow, six weeks post baby, and I'm so excited to start running and training. There will be no actual training for at least a couple months, but it'll feel good to start running again. I want to give a shout out to Tina Muir, who ran a 2.36 at the California International Marathon, and guess what she feels with? She fuels with Generation can. You guys check out this product, it's really great. You guys can go to generationyoucan.com slash another, use promo code ANOTHER all caps to get a 15% discount. Also, we are giving away a fitness box. A Generation You Can fitness box. So go to generationyoucan.com slash giveaway slash another and enter to win. We are going to close that giveaway this coming Monday, December 12th. So make sure you get signed up for that. generationyoucan.com slash giveaway slash another. Welcome to all have another. I'm your host Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. If you're new to the show, welcome. So happy you're here. Don't know what brought you here, but I'm super excited to have you joining us. If you are a returning guest, thank you, thank you for coming back. I so appreciate you listening to these episodes. This is episode 41, and we're talking with Drs. Jamie Notman and Shiva Talibian, and friend Maggie from social media. Hi Maggie. She introduced me to these ladies, and. I love it when you guys reach out to me and suggest guests for the show. That is where I found some of my most favorite guests, so anytime you want to do that, send me an email, lindsay at and I'll see if it's a fit for the show, the guests that you're interested in me bringing on. So anyway, Doctors Jamie and Shiva have been friends for over 20 years, colleagues for 10, and they recently started their own practice. So these ladies are reproductive, endocrinology, and infertility specialists. I have a brand new practice in New York City that they recently started with two other colleagues. And they also recently launched a website called TrulyMD. And you can find that website at truly-md.com. I'm in the perfect place in my life right now to have a conversation with these ladies. I had so many questions. I have so many more questions. And I, I truly think that I'm going to have these ladies back on. As somewhat frequent regular guests because they can provide us with a wealth of knowledge and I know you guys are just gonna love their insight and what they have to say I think next time when I bring them on what I'll do is I'll reach out to listeners and have you guys submit some questions because I have lots of questions of my own that were both personal and general for everybody else and I really think we can make this something really cool with these ladies and I just love what they're doing they're providing resources to the online community through TrulyMD and they're providing a really great service in their new practice as well. I can only imagine if they were my doctors. I told the doctors on this episode that the doctor who delivered Russell was so cool that I wanted to get her phone number and become best friends with her because she was so easy to talk to and relatable and I found myself feeling that exact same way about these ladies. So anyway, hey guys, if you're a regular listener, I know I say this every week, but if you haven't already done so, If you could go over to iTunes and leave me a rating and review, that would be amazing. So look, I see my download numbers every week and I know that there's a lot more than 132 of you that are listening every week. And I really appreciate you listening and I really appreciate all of you who have left rating and reviews. But the only way we're gonna find new listeners is if I keep upping those rating and reviews because iTunes wants that to be the case. And we do what iTunes says, right? because Apple owns the world pretty much, right? <laughs> um, so anyway, I wanted to give a quick shout out to my most recent rating and review from Alexis Skirvin. Love listening to this on my way to work or working out. I'm your average half marathoner and love that the guests are not always crazy fast runners but also your everyday average runner. The diversity is great. Also love the closing parts to hear what people are loving and not loving. I just feel like this is a podcast with real everyday people just like me. Lindsay is hitting the needle on the head with listeners feeling like they're chatting with friends so serious when I tell you guys when I read those depending on like where I am and what time of month, the month it is I get teary-eyed and cried because it makes me so happy I work so hard on this podcast and to hear listeners say that they're loving it and for the same reasons that I'm wanting them to love it makes me so happy so thank you thank you thank you everybody who's left a review already and thank you in advance to those of you who I know are going to log on and go do it after this episode because you're going to love these doctors so much. Okay, taking enough of your time, enjoy my conversation with these lovely ladies. How's it going?
1: It's good. good. How are
0: you? Good. I'm at my sister's house. I So I just had a baby five weeks ago.
1: I, congrats. You're <laughs> third,
0: right? Yeah. So I'm like, I came over to my sister's house because she works from home and I'm like, he'll probably sleep the whole time, but just in case. <laughs> of course. So we're talking, we're talking to Dr. Shiva Talibian and Dr. Jamie Nopeman Did I say it right?
2: Not Notman. Not not
0: okay. I knew oh, I was going to so say it right, wrong, even though you just told me. <laughs> um, so these ladies are with Truly MD. You live in New York City. You have a practice. Well, just tell me exactly what your practice does.
2: So we both live in New York City. Um, I live on the Upper East Side. She lives on the Upper West. But we have, so we have. Truly MD is a content-based website that's basically devoted to anything you could want to know reproduction from your first period to your last period. Our practice, we are reproductive endocrinologists and infertility physicians. So we have a fertility practice also in Manhattan that is called CCRM New York.
1: So
0: is it just the two of you in your practice?
1: No, we have two. There's two additional colleagues. So there's four of us, Um, And we're actually um, a relatively new center. The four of us just joined up um, not too long ago and built and started this practice from scratch. Okay. Um, And yep, so we're very excited and proud. When did you start it? The center opened in June.
0: Oh,
1: very Um, new. Okay. uh, Very new. Jamie and I had worked previously at another center here in New York. And so we, um, the center opened in June, but we were able to join and start working again in September. Um, And our practice, so we, you know, as uh, Jamie mentioned, we're largely an infertility-based practice, which means we do a lot of fertility treatment, including IVF or in vitro fertilization. And um, so what makes us unique or makes our field unique, it's, it's not just have an office and do some exams. We have a whole large um, infrastructure um, involved in our practice um, that entails the embryology or IVF lab. So there's four physicians, but there's a massive team um, of people here that kind of makes the magic happen And um, our embryology lab is modeled and based out of a center, actually, believe it or not, out in Colorado, Um, just outside of Denver is the original CCRM, Colorado Center for Reproductive Medicine, and um, that has historically had, you know, sort of a top quality, wonderful IVF lab. And so they do our IVF and, and the four of us are the physicians here.
0: So nobody's coming to you guys to do just, like, their annual exams or anything like that. They're referred to you, right?
1: Pretty much. we
2: also do, we see a lot of young women for egg freezing. Oh, yeah. And we do occasionally see women who have what's called polycystic ovarian syndrome, like women who have irregular menses, Mm -hmm. regular periods. We can help them with that. Um, Or women who are not getting their period. That also sort of falls under what we do. But primarily what we do are things like, infertility and egg freezing
0: for I have two things to say to that um first of all my best friend is oh she's 32 and she's um not dating anybody seriously and we were just talking about egg freezing on Sunday at my house because her company is going to start covering some of it I think and, that's
2: awesome
0: yeah and she was I said are you going to do it and she said I'm thinking about it like why not so are you seeing an uptick in that I mean is that kind of just big thing now?
2: Definitely, yeah. It's funny, from when we started in practice to where we are now, the number of women coming into freeze has gone up significantly. I think in part because you know Facebook, Apple, mm-hmm. Google, they're starting to offer it and cover it for their employees, mm. but also because A, it's gotten more mainstream, and B,
0: we're just better
2: at it. So yeah. our success with the freezing, the thawing process has grown significantly.
0: So let me ask you this. You see, you know, like, you see famous people all the time having babies when they're, like, 45. (laughs) Is that, I mean, and I know that anybody, I mean, that can happen, but do you think that's largely in part, to they froze their eggs and... So, statistically, even with something like in vitro fertilization,
1: where a woman takes hormones, we extract her eggs, we fertilize with sperm in the laboratory... You know, statistically, using one's own eggs in a woman who has been trying already to get pregnant and not successful, IVF statistics really go down dramatically, you know, kind of after age 42. Okay. And um, so to conceive with one's own eggs at 45, believe it or not, it can happen naturally. As you said, it absolutely can happen naturally. And yes, can it happen with IVF? You know, meaning extracted those eggs at 45, it can, but the odds are very, very low. Mm. So there. So what are options at that point? Um, we
2: actually, we laugh when we hear this question. That you, It was a good question because yeah. we say Hollywood in many ways has done a disservice to women because we'll see patients who come in and they'll be like, I'm confused. Janet Jackson is pregnant. Like, why can I get pregnant? And I'll be like, okay. So
1: it, it, what she was saying is I'm like, we need to, We really need to let women know the truth that's out there. So I would say that, you know, the majority of pregnancies in some of these women are potentially they were eggs that were frozen at an earlier age or embryos if they had a partner and they and they actually fertilize those eggs. Mm. Um, And then there's also something called donor egg IVF, which is um, a younger woman's egg um, that's used for the IVF process to make the embryo.
0: So then, it would be the younger woman's DNA or whatever, and, exactly. Yeah, with your partner, with your partner,
2: partner's sperm, and then yeah. you,
0: are, you carry the pregnancy. So, yeah. Okay, so you could still get to experience being pregnant.
1: All the connections that happen. I mean, I always explain that embryo is growing because of you and your body. Yeah. And there's nature and there's nurture, so you know that that connection is happening. You know pretty early
0: on. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder what, how, you know, what the feelings would be there. Just, you know, you're pregnant, you're carrying the baby
1: thing. It's
2: very up and down. I'd say yeah. women have a, you know, it's not an easy thing that people walk in. They're like, I'm going to do donor. It's yeah. usually a process.
1: It's a process yeah. yeah. They've failed. Oftentimes they've had, you know, multiple, mul- many years of unsuccessful treatment with their own eggs. Mm. And, you know, at the end of the day, we always say, what's your goal? It's a healthy baby. So if that's your goal and you've tried, you've tried with your own eggs and it's not been successful or you've had repeated miscarriages um, because they haven't been healthy embryos or healthy babies, then, you know, yeah, it's it's a wonderful technology that exists and it's highly successful and it's been around for many, many years, quite honestly. It's been around for longer than egg freezing has been around, actually.
0: Um, do you see that people that do that, do they typically look for someone that has similar characteristics of them? Absolutely. Very much, yeah. often yeah.
2: you don't. Like, I, I've seen patients go for something I've been like, whoa, I'm shocked. But usually,
1: people try and right. keep in line with their ethnic background, their physical right. features. It's yeah. typically an, an, an anonymous egg donor. Mm-hmm. Um, on occasion, a woman might have, like, a sister that she may opt to use. But again... Mm. You know, ideally that sister would have to be kind of in her 20s, you know, early 30s at most because, um, you know, if you're already in your 40s using your younger sister who's only a couple years younger than you won't really offer much of an advantage. So, um, you know, most cases are anonymous don't donors.
0: I wonder, and this is just my thought if I were going through the process, um, what would that be like Then you have your baby? Would there be any weird feelings between you and your sister? Because your sister's like, well, that's my, you know. True. I
2: do find the sister, sister sometimes you think it's going to be magical and it's my sister, yeah. but there is
1: an awkward, there can sometimes be an awkward it's dynamic. It's a much more complicated yeah. actual scenario. In general, when we counsel uh, women or individuals, um, or couples considering either egg donation or even sperm donation. In general, our counseling is go for an anonymous donor. It yep. just makes it, I think, a lot cleaner um in many ways. But, you know, there I get it. There's some people who feel strongly I want a genetic link. and and so there's a lot of counseling that goes into this process. Everybody meets as a group with a psychologist many times and makes sure they kind of talk about all scenarios. But, I agree. There's always that risk that this could create an issue down the road between family members.
2: Yeah.
0: I wanted to ask you about the polycystic ovarian syndrome. So um, when I got off birth control, I was literally on birth control for one year of my life. I had crazy hormone issues coming off of it. I mean, I was just a mess. And I wasn't getting my period for like six months. So I went to a general doctor because that's where I was doing my annual exams at the time. I was like, you know, 25. And they diagnosed me with that just based on like one panel of blood work. She diagnosed me with this and she gave me a prescription to, I can't even remember what they were, but one, one medication was like a diet, diabetic medication and one was like a heart medicine. If you said the word, if you said them, I would know what they are.
2: Metformin was yep. probably, yeah. And
0: yeah. then spiral aldactone, I think is the other one. Spironolactone, Spironolactone. Yeah. Okay, I knew I'd probably say it wrong. So this doctor put, puts me on this medicine intense medicine um and straight from the start my mom's like do not take that medicine that is ridiculous like she should not have prescribed you that from one panel of blood work um and I had been not having my period for a good like probably six months since I got a birth control so something was obviously going on so I took it for about a month and I started getting a period like every week or something crazy like that and then I went to a second opinion and the doctor was, he did an ultrasound. I did have some cysts on my ovaries. I had no other characteristics of the disease, though. So he said, um, un, under no circumstances should you be taking this drug. Wrote my prescription for a drug that could induce my period if I went, like, another month or two without getting it. And I ended up just, like, self-regulating yeah. and being fine. It's interesting, you know, post-pill
2: amenorrhea, you really, after you come off the pill, you it can take up to a year. That's the definition. Yeah. Most women will get it back 90% within six months. But you, like, looking at you, you're so not a PCO-looking type of patient. That's why I'm sort of shocked. And it's funny you mentioned the metformin because historically people loved metformin, but there was a huge trial that was in the New England Journal. And even for women with true, true PCOS, metformin does not do as well as they, as it should. Now, yeah, if you are pre-diabetic or if you have diabetes, which many women with PCO are, you should, you should really be on medicine to lower your insulin, to lower your glucose. But in reality, no, it's over-prescribed in in my, in our opinion. And so it's interesting. And, and, you know, you're a big runner. And so it's, it's oftentimes there's a whole, you you can stop getting a period for multiple Mm -hmm. reasons. It doesn't Mm -hmm. just have to be PCO. So.
0: Yeah, I mean, and now looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, what if I would have started taking that and just taken her word for it and, like, you know, thought I needed it and been on it for years?
2: People make that diagnosis rather quickly. I mean, and we're a lot of times like, uh, no, you don't
0: have PCO. Yeah, because, I mean, literally had no other characteristics of it at all. And honestly, the way this doctor delivered everything to me, like, I, lo- I was only 25. I left the doctor's office thinking, I'm never going to be able to have kids. Yeah. Like... You know? Yeah, no,
2: totally. totally. It's, it's so much of how, you know, it's it's your delivery, so much of it.
0: Yeah. Um so did you guys you guys you didn't grow up together but you practiced medicine together at school, we right? We did. Grow,
2: it's crazy. So okay. we've known each other since I was 14 years old. Okay. So my brother and Shiva's sister are the same age and I went to high school with Shiva's sister. So I'm one year above my I'm one year older than my brother, one year older than Shiva's sister. So I met Shiva through her sister. And she was always like an older sister to me. Like I would be like, like, oh, I want to be a doctor too. She was like, oh, okay. And I remember I went to, I went to Penn, she went to Columbia, but I met her when I was trying to decide where to go to med school. I called her, I was like, hey Ned, I'm gonna call your sister. She had gone to Sinai. I I went to Sinai. She went to NYU for residency. I followed her at NYU for residency. She went to NYU for fellowship. I went to NYU for fellowship. And then the funny part of all of this is, I started working at my previous job, and Shiva went to another job, and then she followed me back to my old job. And that's then when we were there, and we decided to do this. But like our moms are friends, our Mm. brother, my brother, and her sister. So our lives are incredibly interconnected. Like our husbands are friends, our kids are friends. Like. (laughs) I mean, she's truly, like, I joke around, I'm like, oh, she was, like, my partner in everything, you know? So it's very it's very comical.
0: So you, did you ever think, oh, maybe we'll start a practice together someday? It, we always sort of wanted it,
2: – it's funny because fertility medicine is actually dominated in many ways by men, mm-hmm. and it always struck me as odd. Like, this is – we're dealing with such, like, sensitive issues regarding women. How come there's no more – like, no real female-run practices? But we never had, like, the guts, to be honest. Like, I feel like we were always like, oh, we couldn't do that, like, whatever. And then when we had the opportunity to partner with the lab that we currently work with, which is, like, you know, the best lab in the country, arguably, we're like, oh, my goodness, like, let's do this. And the Truly MD idea had been around for a long time. Um, I I do the writing. Like, I love, love to write. And we sort of were like, why don't we, we talk to patients the same way that we sort of write on Truly MD. So we're like, why don't we take that, the way we counsel patients, the way we talk to them, and bring it to a more global scale. That idea was around for a while. It just took us a long time to get going with it.
0: So how do you, I mean, obviously it serves as a resource to your patients. Mm -hmm. How is it connected to the practice it's it's not like okay. I mean,
2: it's separate. Like Truly MD is just the two of us and we do a lot of stuff for Truly that we don't do for our practice. Okay. And also on Truly we talk about like obstetrical topics. We are board certified OBGYNs as well as being board certified REIs, but we don't practice obstetrics. So, so, so when you
0: went to school, did you go to school with the thought I want to deliver babies or
2: Yeah, and I, I mean when we did a four years of an OBGYN residency and There's wonderful, beautiful, amazing parts about obstetrics, and I am so happy I did it for four years. Mm -hmm. But I didn't want to do that for my life after Mm -hmm. being in it. I'm like, oh whoa, this is like high stress. Like we also do we do GYN oncology for a while. We do urogynecology. We're exposed to all of those things. I always say like I loved hormones. It sounds so weird to say that, but it's they're eloquent, right? They're like, it's so amazing the hormonal progression. So that's sort of why the transition from obstetrics to, here comes I'm sorry, back. I'm back. <laughs>
1: That's okay. I had patient, to <laughs> I was explaining
2: how we started truly and okay. how we know each other and yeah. why, yeah, there we go. Sorry. That's
0: okay. Gosh, I, I feel like I'm just in a phase in my life where I could ask you 5,000, <laughs> like a million yeah. questions. Yeah. <laughs> That's usually um, exactly what happened. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was like, I'm thinking, I got to keep this on track. Maybe I have to have you guys on again. Because um, I was just thinking about, you know, like, did you think – change like not doing the OB like delivering babies and stuff and doing this instead beyond the hormone thing were you thinking of it like a scheduling wise too with your families
1: yeah, yeah. you know it's so interesting i think like so my dad was an obgyn he was a general obgyn and he worked super hard he was gone many a nights middle of the night many a weekends i mean i still had a great relationship and we spent a ton of time with him because when he was home it was all about dad it didn't matter if it was Friday night and there was a dance at school like we were with dad but um you know it's funny I think as a woman like you just become a doctor you don't even I'm not you're not thinking at that point about getting married or having kids mm-hmm. or lifestyle and then you know you kind of pick your specialty and you're still at that age where you're like this is what I really want to do and then at some point, there kind of is this aha moment where you're like, okay, like, I'm getting really tired, being a resident, really tired, like, I want to have a life, I ideally want to have children, and you, you have to consider your specialty, because some are way more time intensive and less control of your life and your schedule, and um, you know our field, we work a lot. And we work yeah. a lot of weekends. Actually, people never understand that. They don't mm. understand that oh, you're a fertility doctor. Why are you working weekends? Well, because it has to do with how the eggs and ovaries work. Right, are. hours, yeah. yeah. Right, but um, y- you know, me personally, I actually loved obstetrics me and too. I loved working on the delivery floor. It was just so amazing and magical, and I have so many memories. Yeah. And even just like working as a team with the nurses, it was such like a really an Im- camaraderie, bonding camaraderie amazing of- experience. But I got to learn knowing myself that bad outcomes are going to happen with a mom and a baby. And I just, I know myself and I was like, I would never be able to separate that and move on and be able to go home and keep it at home. Mm. And I, I think I just, I loved the emotional aspect of labor and delivery, but I just I I think it's intense pressure and stress and I just knowing my personality, it just wasn't a good fit for me for the long term for the long run for my life. The highs are awesome and the
2: lows are some of the most terrible things you could ever imagine. I I think that's very true.
0: Uh, Yeah, I can't even imagine that. And it's coming home from the hospital with a healthy baby and when you say stuff like that it just like chokes me up because I can't even imagine.
2: I mean, it's also, like, I always think to myself, wow, we are so blessed. Like, we have children. Like, yeah. we see women who, un- like, may never have children. And may ne- and it really, you really learn to appreciate. I think I never appreciated as much as I did until I had children and really yeah. saw how blessed we were. I think as a resident, sometimes you're like, you it's survival mode, you know? <laughs> you're like, I got to make it through today. And then you realize how, how fortunate we right. really are.
0: Yeah, it's... On that topic, I feel like I'm on social media. I tend to like wear my heart on my sleeve about my kids, like when they're driving me crazy or when they're doing that. But I always hope that when people read stuff like that, they're like, surely everybody knows that like I am so appreciative and I am so thankful that like I have these healthy babies, you know? Um,
2: Yeah. I I mean, we all go through it, right? We're all like, I'm going to kill them today. Like, (laughs) no, if somebody tells you I love my kids and my kids are perfect all the time, then they're lying, right? right? We all know that. But it's normal to feel that. That's why we always say, like, step away and take a break. Like, mm-hmm. go do a spin class. Go for a run because you're actually a better parent for doing it as opposed to not doing it.
0: Right. So you guys both have two kids, right? Yes. Yeah. So do, all daughters? No, I have um, I have a six-year-old son. Okay. And then you have a daughter that's? Girl. I have a 10-year-old daughter. Okay. Eva has a 10-year-old oh. daughter and a six-year-old son. Okay, and then Jamie, what do you have?
2: I have a five-year-old daughter and a two-year-old
1: daughter.
0: Okay, so you're like...
2: I'm in it. You're in it. it. I'm sort of, yeah,
1: and it's
0: funny because I'm, you know,
1: I'm like, they sleep. Eventually they sleep. Eventually they pee and poop where they're (laughs) supposed to. And eventually they go to school all day. (laughs) It's funny
2: because it's true. Like, Shiva, I always joke around. She was like my older sister sort of in the whole process of going through med school and et cetera. But now, too, because I'll be like... Uh, my younger daughter never slept and I was like sort of losing my mind and I remember being like she was like it will come to an end I'm like she's right it will come to an end like I'm like I'm I can't get the potty training She was like it'll happen <laughs> and you really it's like paying it forward it's funny a patient who was my fertility patient had her baby last night like middle of the night and she texted me being like this I feel horrible like I and I called her I was like this is the worst. Like, nobody will tell you, but these t- this time is the worst. You were in labor forever. You pushed. You had a C-section. Like, everything you're feeling, there's a light. And I was like, I felt like I was doing for her, which she has always done for me, which is, like, hang in there. It's going to get better. This is all totally normal.
0: You said she texted you. Is that the norm, or are you, like, friends with this patient? Kind of a little bit of
2: both. I know. <laughs> a lot of our patients, like, text us all the time. It's sort of funny. Um, I mean, we. I definitely don't, like give out my cell phone number all the time but we we do develop this almost like friendship with Mm -hmm. a lot of our patients and I think it's because we are sort of close to their age Mm -hmm. we are very similar but it's also because like that's who we are like we are very very I think we're like very in it with them we Mm -hmm. feel it with them and maybe for better or worse sometimes we do have a problem dissociating and being like wow but but, um, yeah, sometimes I'm like, wow, we, we really become connected in a way that is probably unlike many other people.
0: Well, it's funny you say that because the doctor that just delivered me uh, five weeks ago, she was, like, stitching me up and everything. And we were just talking, and I was asking her about her family and stuff. And then afterwards, later out to my husband, I was like, I want to be, like, friends with her. Yeah. <laughs> like, sure, surely she doesn't have time to be friends with me, though. Like, she has three kids, and she's um, an OB doctor. I mean, like, does she have time to be friends with anybody? <laughs>
2: right. It's funny. People say that to us a lot. And, it's, yeah, it's. I think it makes the experience a little more special, even, because it's, like,
1: yeah. Right. And we feel likewise about some of our patients. Yeah. We're like, wow, she's such a cool woman. Yeah. Like, she does such interesting things, or, you know, she's such a warm person, like, I could totally be friends with her, and then, you know, and a lot of times you meet the partner, and you're like, yeah. and I loved the partner, too, <laughs> yeah. um, sure. you know, whether it's a male partner or a female partner, but right. I've, I've had couples where I'm like, I just want to hang out with you, yeah. regardless, so. Sure.
0: That's so funny, and, well, and then you get to the point in your adult life when you're like, okay, do I have room for more friends in my life right <laughs> now, like, do I have you're the like, space? Mm,
2: yeah, I can't take, can't yeah, no, it's very it's true. <laughs>
0: We're having dinner, dinner with somebody who has yeah. a patient. Oh, fun. Oh, like, I love it. So fun. sometimes have we, we do have yeah. room for yeah. more yeah. friends. Yeah. You have room. Um, well, on that same line, um, how do you balance your practice, family? I mean, you guys are both frequent exercisers. You both run marathons, right? Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: So how do you, what's the secret? There's no secret probably, uh-huh. but what do you do? You wake <laughs> up really
1: early. Yes. You wake, you wake up. up really early. Yeah.
0: So, now, do you, but yeah. do you go to bed really early?
1: I do go to bed I really don't. early. I put my kids <laughs> to sleep, and then I go to bed within forty-five minutes to an hour of that time.
2: I don't. Um, I go to sleep late. I do. Like
1: I feel like I go to sleep usually like eleven or twelve. I go to bed probably by ten. Yeah. You don't need as
0: much sleep as I. I do. I think I don't. Jamie
1: functions on less. Sleep. Oh, you're yeah. one of those
0: people. I, I'm so jealous of those kind of people. Yeah. So I also yeah.
2: consume a significant amount of coffee. So long.
1: you just don't need as much. <laughs>
0: oh, really?
2: I don't know. I just. But I, I do think like you do, I mean, you have to like, it's sort of funny, like the post we did yesterday, like I multitask all of the time. Mm. Like I'm never just going to take the subway. I'm like, okay, on this subway subway ride, what will I do? Will I text with this person? Will I respond to this email? Will I take care of this for my kids? Like, and maybe that's bad because I do have a problem just like sitting still, but I'm tr- I try and like think of creative ways to do as much as I possibly can.
0: So if you go to bed at t- Okay, so Shiva says she goes to bed at 10. You're like 11 or 12. You get up at what, 5? 5:30? Yeah. Okay. 30, yeah. To try to work out for
1: like 40 Okay, that's
0: 7 out. hours for Shiva. Yeah. I am obsessed with sleep. My husband's like, yeah. "If you up obs- cuz you know with a newborn, yeah. He's like, <laughs> "How many hours of the day do you obsess over how much sleep you're going to get tonight?" And he will he will take the baby for the entire night just because he knows I'm crazy sometimes. Um that's-
2: good husband. Yeah. I mean,
0: yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, not every night, but some nights I'll go to bed at like eight and I won't see him again till like six or seven in the morning. Wow.
1: Um, yeah. now that I have that for a long time, uh, yeah, yeah.
0: Keep oh. in oh. mind though, that, so um, much. this is There's still that. the first five weeks and I, um, I lay in bed awake cause I have this like sleep anxiety. So I'm not like sleeping the entire time. I'm like laying in my pool of, night sweat post baby night sweats just yes. like oh yes can I the tell sweats. you the funniest I did not know that did not happen the first time
2: I remember calling Shiba you didn't have it the doctor. first day no and I thought I think I have tb or I'm dying something <laughs> tuberculosis. Yeah, tuberculosis sorry so I, I remember calling Shiva it was like the middle I was so nervous she's like oh that's my mom like Oh my god, I did not have this the first time. Whatever. I was freaking out. But then my friend called me in the middle of the night. I was like, "Oh, don't worry. I can pass this information along to you." It is she's like, "Didn't happen to me the first two times." I was like, "It didn't happen to me the first time." Now I felt like I was soaking the sheets.
0: Yeah. Isn't yeah. that so weird because I I do feel like that's one thing that nobody talks about. I yeah. mean, the first ap- after my first, I was like, "Whoa, this is crazy. Yeah. Nobody told me this was going to happen." Yes. So many things nobody
2: tells you are going to happen. It's funny. I
0: was actually, we have two nurses in our
1: office are pregnant and I was sort of, I don't know, somehow we were having like this informal, let me just dish on like what I remember as things that nobody tells you. And, and again, it's been six years for me. Like it's been a while. There were, there have been, there are like a handful of things that stand out as like Nobody will tell you this. In fact, you might read that if this is happening to you, it's not normal. But I'm like, it's normal. I was <laughs> like, when the baby's coming out, even if you had an epidural, it hurts like hell. I don't care what anyone tells you. They're like, ring of fire. I'm like, yes, ring of fire. Um, and then the other thing, like, I always remember, like, the first couple weeks of, you know, I nursed and of the latching, like, it hurts. Oh. I'm so- yeah. People, these lactation consultants who says like if you're breastfeeding and it hurts, you're doing it incorrectly. Even when you're doing it correct, correctly, it does hurt initially. It, does. it hurts. So yeah. I remember the night sweats. That was a huge one. Huge. What about the, the first time you have sex? Oh, after and having the, the first baby? time you have sex after having a baby, horrific. Well,
0: it's horrific. <laughs> the thought of it's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. It's
1: scary. No, it's it's like like it it's. There, and there's a physiology to that. And the, so the night sweats, all of that is related to extremely low estrogen. Mm. And so, you know, immediately postpartum, your body is in some ways almost acting like it's in menopause. So, right? So that's why you're drenching your mm. bed and the vaginal dryness is so intense and that's why having sex is really, really painful. So... Um, and I remember my OB telling me when my first, for my first, she had had a couple kids and we were friendly and she's like, yeah, it feels like there's fire when you have sex. She's like, use lots of lubrication. (laughs) And I'm like, well, by the way, like who has time? Who has the interest? Like your hormones, you're tired. I'm like, oh, she's like, but you're going, she's like, I know you're going to (laughs) want to do it, but you're going to have to. Yeah. She's (laughs) like, these are my words of advice. Use lots of lubrication. And if you see a little blood, don't worry. (laughs) I'm like, okay. (laughs) That's reassuring. And also,
2: like, the other thing is I always say, like, I remember my second time being, like, very down. Mm. And I felt, like, very bad saying that, especially as, like, a fertility doctor. I'm like, yeah, I'm sort of, like, not so. And I think it's so helpful that women are more, like, to speak about postpartum Mm -hmm. depression or, like, the postpartum blues because, it's really a real feeling, and I think that people should be able to say, like, yeah, I have a baby, and the baby's adorable, but, like, I feel like crap, and that is is so important to speak about because it, it, it's not all, like, onesies and, like, you know, whatever, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah I always get postpartum anxiety, not so much, like, depression Mm-hmm. you feel anxious yeah well i and scared i'm like oh my yeah. gosh i have these like perfect babies uh something's gonna happen to me i'm going to die yeah. i'm not gonna get yeah. to see my kids grow up
1: yes yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i i will never forget the local news was on right after i had my daughter so you know 10 and a half years ago the local news was on and i just like started bawling and i was like why did i bring a child into mm-hmm. this world it's such yeah. a scary crazy place and you you know, living in Manhattan and walking on the streets, like, it's really, and that is, though, that's, that's another form of, like, the postpartum blues, there's also this, like, postpartum anxiety and just this fear of, like, something happening to you or to the baby, Mm -hmm. because I think there's something so, like, raw about that situation where you're, like, this child needs me to survive, and I think it kind of, there's this, like, deep instinct of, like, that, wow, life, is really so precious, and, you know, and so I think it's normal to
0: feel that way. Are you guys, so are you apt to, if someone comes in, um, prescribing an antidepressant, or, like, what is your advice to someone when they come in feeling like that? I mean, I, every case is different, sure.
2: I, I am a big fan of, I don't usually write medication like antidepressants. I it's send different. to a reproductive mm-hmm. psychiatrist yeah. because, I think the reality is a lot of doctors do get into the habit of, oh, I'll just write the prescription, like whatever, the patient will come back. But like, it's not just about writing the mm. medication. It's about really talking about the underlying issues. And I'm definitely not equipped to do that because I wasn't trained in it. I mean, yeah. I, could, I would talk to you all day, but I may not
1: say the right things. Yeah, I, I also so I I would feel refer. very strongly. I can certainly write somebody for Prozac or Zoloft, but I really do mm. not because again, as Jamie said, I think there are doctors and this is their specialty. And I don't know if Prozac Prozac or Zoloft is the right thing for you. And there's new medications. Like, I mean, the the last time we learned about these meds was in medical school. school. And that for (laughs) me was a very long time. (laughs) But Um, like medicines move so fast. mm -hmm. I say
2: this, like, I'm like, I don't know. People ask me questions about like, you know, internal medicine. I'm like, not really sure so like we it's evidence-based and you have to stay on it you have to be in it to to be up to date and that's why it's so subspecialized.
1: and like we're good at what we do we're really good at that but we're not good at like and we have friends who are psychologists psychiatrists and psychologists that we can refer to so
0: yep yeah when I went to my doctor she's she yeah she said like I could prescribe this. She's like, but I think what you really need is, like, some cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's true. And I never went and did that, which I still think, actually, like, beyond kids or what, I think that I could benefit from that in general, um, just from, you know, random fear stuff that I have. Um, But I came out of that little, you know, bout of anxiety before I even made the appointment. But I know that if that happens again, that's what I will do. Because I don't want to be... And I know that some people need this medicine, but I don't want to be tied down to it if it's, like, bouts. It's not, like, a chronic thing for me, you know?
2: And they teach coping. Like, that's what they
1: do. They teach you how to cope with it, and, like, that's why they're so good at what they do. I mean, listen, like, we're both Western med trained, and we're big believers in Western medicine and technology and medicine, but I also kind of, to your point, I think you know, our culture is becoming very dependent upon prescriptions, and um, certainly there are people who need them, and they're not making the argument against that, but there's also, um, you know, certain situations like yours, where it just sounds like, you know, if you spoke to someone who could teach you how Mm -hmm. to handle, like, when you're feeling that anxiety coming on, how to talk yourself down from it, how to cope with it, and then if that doesn't work, then yeah, then you can go on medications, but... Um, you know, we always say that we're becoming more Eastern. We <laughs> are. We In are. our e- old age, we're going <laughs> Eastern. We're going Eastern. We're big supporters, actually, of Eastern acupuncture. medicine. Acupuncture. um, Meditation. Mm-hmm. Food. Diet. How what you're ingesting is affecting your health, too. So do you uh, prescribe
2: stuff like that to your patients? All, all the,
1: time. the time. We yeah. send...
2: We are huge fans of acupuncture. I mean, acupuncture and fertility, there's a lot of overlap. And we routinely send patients there. I mean... Do we believe in the whole, like, gluten makes you infertile or you shouldn't have dairy? No, because I do think there's a lot that one gets from gluten if they're not celiac or dairy if they're not lactose. But I think a well-balanced diet is clearly good for everyone.
0: Before I continue my conversation, I want to thank Generation Camp for sponsoring this episode of All Have Another. Generation You Can is powered by a super starch that will help you fuel for your long runs and endurance activities. We're doing a giveaway with them. If you guys head over to generationyoucan.com slash giveaway slash another, you can enter to win a free fitness box, and that giveaway is closing out this coming Monday. You guys can also receive a 15% discount if you go to generationyoucan.com slash another. Use promo code another, all caps. Thanks, Generation You Can. What, what are some... Like myths like that that you've heard people say?
2: There's a lot of food stuff out there. There's a lot of like no gluten, no dairy, no sugar. And that I I think for most people, that's not really the case. I've always thought like infertility is like such a hard thing to deal with because it goes contrary to everything we've ever believed, right? Most of us are like I even see my daughters do it. They'll put like a doll in their shirt and they'll be like, look, I'm having a baby. Like, I mean, we're so programmed to be like, oh, we'll be a mom at some day that when you are facing it, you're like, uh, this can't be happening. What is going on? So we look for answers all over the place. And while I'm not saying that food doesn't play a role, I don't think the majority of people need to be gluten free because most of us are not celiac, you know? So I think it's looking for things to control or to answer why this may be happening to you.
1: Um, a lot of there's also, you know, while we want women to be healthy, um, there's, you know, a lot of women are struggling with infertility and they might see doctors or, or Eastern specialists who tell them absolutely no alcohol, absolutely no caffeine, and absolutely no exercise. And that, like for Jamie and I, I think that really drives us crazy because there's no science behind that. In fact, possibly contrary. And you know, so and it's also almost making that woman feel guilty. guilty. like it's blaming her that, oh, because you have a glass of wine and you you know go for a three mile jog and you drink a cup of coffee a day that that's why you're not getting pregnant. And um, you know, absolutely if someone has you know three ventis a day and drinks a <laughs> bottle of wine every night because they need to find a way to come down, <laughs> like that's not healthy whether you're trying to get pregnant or not. So, but, you know, we are we are big believers of everything in moderation and continuing to live your life um, while going through the struggles of infertility um, and still trying to do the things that, that you enjoy and that also de-stress you.
0: Yeah. I get pregnant naturally. My sister has one baby and she did IVF. Would you tell us both to go on the same way we were exercising before?
1: So the only time that we tell women, um, to kind of really tone
0: down their exercise
1: is actually in the middle, like in the middle of an IVF cycle. And it's just when your ovaries are what we call hyperstimulated, they're, you know, three, four or five times their usual size. So they're very large, the ovaries during treatment and they can twist mm. if you are, you know, go for a run. So, um, but very, in extreme, yes, in extreme cases, when a woman is really, you know, some professional athletes or over-exercisers, it, they will stop getting periods. We all know that. Like, if you in, in exercise intensely, you stop get ovulating. And so in some extreme cases, your exercise can be the cause of your infertility. But those extreme cases aside... Um, you know, if you and your sister like to run six miles a day, every day of the week, like, that's not why she's not getting, needs IVF, right? right, right. And so, you know, certainly you can continue to do that while you're trying. And you do that when you're pregnant, if that's, yeah. if you feel
0: good doing it, you know, and you have an uncomplicated pregnancy. Would you say that? So if some, I mean, obviously people are getting IVF for a million different reasons. Would the reason they're getting IVF change the way you think of that? So for instance, with her, it was an issue on her husband's end why she did IVF, but if it was like an issue on her end where she had, I don't know, endometriosis or something like that, would you prescribe exercise differently?
2: No, I think the only way that we would tailor it would be a woman who needs to do IVF because she's not getting her period because she's so over-exercising. You're eating. Yeah. Mm. And it's the under eating too. It's the calorie restriction as well. I mean, we do our best in that case. Like, we see a lot of patients like that and we'll really be honest with them. Like, listen, Mm. we too are exercise addicts. We get it. But there is abnormal pathology going on and we try and help them through that. I mean, you can always give a medication to fix a problem, right? But if you put a bandaid on a problem, you don't fix what's going on. The bandaid won't work. So we try and address that, I feel like, with patients. Right. Um, but you know, that's again, where we work with other
1: specialties, because right. we're not equipped to, you know, some of those women, um, where they're exercising to such a level where it's preventing them from ovulating and, and that they're actually not getting pregnant for that reason. Again, a lot of that is associated with also calorie restriction and all of that behavior, you know, can also be difficult and and dangerous when you're pregnant, right? So if you're not taking care of yourself and you're not getting adequate nutrition, your baby's not going to, your baby's going to be very small, um, and which can come with other problems. So, you know, we want to, we want to make sure that women are healthy. Um, and so we want to make sure that their exercise habits are,
0: are healthy as well. Um, do you think that there's an uptick in infertility or people are just talking about it more? Definitely an uptick. Yeah. But
2: it's also like our, it's it's mostly female age. I mean, mm-hmm. our moms, most of us had us when they were in their 20s, like I would say. But now for us, that, that clock has been up to most of us in our 30s. And although, yes, like 31, 32, 33 is still young, it's not 21, 22, 23. And right. so I think that that is that has really contributed to most of the infertility that we see. Also, in general, I feel like there's more male factor infertility. The right. sperm quality has gone down. So, yes, we're more aware of it. Yes, we talk about it a whole lot more. But I do also think the incidence has risen. Yep. Yeah.
0: Is the Absolutely. sperm thing because of age two, what you're saying? No.
2: Interestingly, sperm does go down as men age. Like, sort of, you know, men have been given the fountain of youth in a way. Like, they can right. father kids up until their 60s, 70s. But... Sperm, there's a lot of reasons, most that we just don't really know why the sperm right.
1: quality sperm, has decreased. I, I, a lot of times think um, sperm is more, so men produce sperm continuously and women are born with their eggs And, you know, sperm is definitely, uh, sperm function, sperm production can be very much affected by lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So, um, heavy smokers, Mm. heavy drinkers, you know, marijuana use is becoming very, I mean, very prevalent in certain areas now that it's legal. Um, and you know, (laughs) chronic marijuana use is actually also really bad for sperm function. So, Um, You know, I think there's a lot of lifestyle behaviors that could affect it, and, you know, people always question the environment and radiation and computers and cell phones, and, um, you know, I don't think that we really know, you know, but, you know, men keep phones in their pockets all the time, and I don't really tell Mm. them to change that, so... But could there be something going on with that? I think you'd have to probably already have some underlying issue and then that could like tip it over. Edge, but yeah. I don't think that that's causing, you know, uh, sperm
0: production to go down per se.
1: I've
0: been thinking about that phone thing. I'm like, I'm, I'm attached to my phone. I know this can't be good for me. Yeah. Like always have it on me. And they, they're they like doing all these reports on the news about it too. Um, question, do you guys... What are your thoughts on women waiting the full six weeks after delivery to resume exercise? I think you can do it. Wait, it we
1: depends. Were. It depends on your delivery. Yeah. It depends on your delivery. I think I worked out a week after.
2: I did too. But,
0: wow. But we. I mean, I had, had very easy, easy delivery.
2: Easy,
1: like
0: no. Yeah. Now, when you say you worked out, did you run or did you like? Well, see, hopping on the bike a week after. I'm like, I oh, did.
2: Class. I spun, yeah,
0: yeah, because
2: yeah. I didn't I, not. I was lucky. Neither time I had small kids, so oh. have a tear. Oh, same.
1: I actually found running um, very much my more lower abdominal muscles, yes. like my rectus muscles, were intensely painful. Um, I actually had a much. I, it took me about a couple, like eight weeks, yep. ten weeks to really get back into the running and where I wasn't actually in pain.
2: In the second time, I thought it even took me longer. Like the first time, I remember going for a run two weeks later and it came back, and I was like. I think my uterus might be falling out of the <laughs> door. But, and the second time, even like three months later, I felt a lot of pelvic pressure. Yeah. Like I was like, whoa, it's much easier to sit down. But, but it's like, it's funny. I think it's
1: just the ligaments yeah. and the muscles in that area are not back to their like normal strength. And so, um, you know, everybody's, I think everybody's body is different. Um, but I think it, you know, certainly most certainly the six weeks is very safe. Um, and for some women, you really have to adhere to that. And for others, no,
0: you don't have to. So I had a C-section with my first, and then I had two vaginal deliveries. And I was very, I mean, I'm i am very into waiting the six weeks, but I think most of it is um, because I'm like, when else in my life am I going to be like, you have a pass. You don't have to work yeah. out for six weeks. You're right. always like, it's so good when you get a surgery. because that's right. <laughs> right. I mean, and I've had a couple surgeries too and I'm like, I'm waiting the full six weeks. There's no rushing this. Um, but another of it, Another part of it, too, is, like, the sleep deprivation right after having a baby is so intense, and you guys have been through residency, so, like, you've kind of experienced that sleep deprivation probably more than most people um, before. Like, I remember my first doctor, um, the doctor, I had a different doctor deliver all three of my babies, and I loved them all, Um, but she said, if you can just, I'm speaking from experience, she didn't have any kids, but she said, if you can just secure, like, a four-hour stretch, like, that will be life-changing for your sleep deprivation. (laughs) it's Um, true I mean residency you're up all the time but I remember
2: used to thinking if I can get four hours post call I'm good to go like a a
0: stretch like a not uninterrupted four hours and that's so interesting too because uh the past like few weeks I've been like okay here's a five-hour stretch with no interruptions opposed to like a six-hour stretch with like three interruptions the five-hour stretch with no interruptions is so much better it is but my point is is like I think part of it not wanting to exercise in that first six weeks is like I don't I just don't need to add that to this like sleep deprived right. like state that I'm in, you know. See, women running 1 2 weeks after they deliver and I don't think that my body would want that, you know, but I guess everybody's different.
1: Everybody's different. I found like taking like a 45 minute cycling class in my sleep deprived like state actually woke me up it, it gave me a little yeah. surge of like adrenaline yep. and you know the good hormones the op- opioids like it, yeah. it, it releases natural opioids and adrenaline and um it also like you know I did have the luxury with my second um of having our like caretaker was there so it also just kind of I feel like it made me feel human to get out for an hour um and just have like some air you know outside without a baby attached to me but um everybody's I think everybody's so different different. and yeah we are having gone through residency I mean it self-selects a certain type of person I say I need my sleep and and like I'm older now I'm 41 like I can't function the way I did when I was even 10 years six years ago when I had my kids like I, I, I think those days are, you know, gone for me and I need my sleep. But we had good training as residents to prepare us for that postpartum time, for sure.
0: Let me ask you one more doctor question and then we'll do a couple fun things and I'll let you guys get on your day with your day. Back to Truly MD really quick. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about it is, so Jamie, you're writing a lot on it, but who's upkeeping that? I mean, surely you guys don't have time to do that. Oh, we do. Yeah, well, <laughs> We, we don't, don't really this have This is why I'm yeah. staying
1: up late at night yeah. and a little cranky yeah. during the day yeah. because I'm not getting my full 8 hours of sleep. Yeah. Um so the
2: the the thing is a lot of the writing was done in the past, like we've done this I had done this over the past couple of years I will say. The so that was like sort of stored and 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 we used it. The um daily upkeep is is also us and maybe one day that will be somebody else, but yes, that's and you got, who's doing the Twitter? Oh, that would be me. I know I'm not very good at it. No, but you're,
0: no, you're fine.
1: <laughs> Maggie I, helps us.
0: Yeah. But I, I was just like, who, are they doing this? Like, I'm just like, you're like in between patients, like throwing a tweet out or you
2: schedule them or whatever. I'm, the thing is, is that it's, I, re, what I've sort of learned in this like minimal amount of time that I've been exposed to social media is that you have to like be in it, like all, like I, you know, Facebook, I would post once every month or something mm. like that. But now apparently you have to be up there all the time. So, yes. Yeah. So we try and be as like, oh, look at this story you just broke. Maybe we should comment on it. But you are correct. Probably at some point we will need to turn those reins over to somebody else. So you can
1: find us at it's So it's www.truly-md.com. So that's our site. And then um, Twitter, we are truly, MDF, uh, truly MDS. Yeah. And then, as well as Instagram, is also truly MDS. Yeah. And,
0: and I'll put all that on the show notes. Oh, one other thing, I want to ask you guys too. Um, well, first of all, what is your ultimate goal with Truly MDS, the the website?
2: It's a good question.
1: yeah no. um, So I mean, I think the the goal is really, I think, to be a voice and a permanent resource for women, um, again, through all the reproductive stages um, as they're going through it. And, you know, we, because, you know, obviously our day-to-day is fertility, and we could have just had the site purely based on, like, women trying to conceive, you know, going through fertility treatment. But as you said, like, we become connected to these women. And um, so the minute they're pregnant, then they look to us, and, okay, what can I eat? What can I exercise? And and throughout the pregnancy, even when they had an OB, they would so Still call calls, us, email yeah. us, and, hey, this is going on with my pregnancy. What do you think? So, you know, we sort of realized, like, they trust us. They look up to us. We've been through it as moms. We're OB-GYN trained, um, board certified in general obstetrics and gynecology and fertility. And so, you know, we really just... We had patients say, you need to put this, the emails you send us and the way you speak to us, you need to put this out there for women all over who don't have access to you on a day-to-day basis like we do. And so I think our goal is really just to educate and empower women. And that's Um, even like where truly is our
2: name because like our goal was to be honest. Like we had seen, we've seen poor care or things that were like, wow, that person. So we wanted to give you education and with education comes empowerment. So if we could be, like, the go-to resource that women use for whether it's fertility or pregnancy or postpartum, like, that would be, I mean, that would be so exciting for us, I think.
0: I love that. That's so good. Um, You guys are involved with Every, Every Mother Counts. Yeah. What can, I mean, I bet a lot of people listening know the organization, but can you just explain it really quick and why you're so passionate about getting behind it? So they,
1: um, it's an organization, um, started by Christy Turlington after she had some pregnancy complications and sort of having this aha realization moment that, wow, women can really get sick and die in childbirth. And, um, you know, so in the U, in the U S two women die a, a day throughout the country giving birth, but, um, worldwide it was, it's about one in every seven minutes?
2: I think it's seven, yeah. One in
1: every seven minutes, and it's just such an astounding number, and I think, um, you know, we often, I think, take for granted, like, the the benefit we have of living in this country and having access to amazing health care. Um, with that said, there are still women in this country who don't have access to just basic prenatal care when they're pregnant, or and It just, it it should never be, it should, it should just should not be that way. And so this organization really, um, their mission is to, you know, to educate us on global, you know, maternal mortality, um, and morbidity as well as local maternal mortality and morbidity. And they, um, raise money and they go to countries and they educate the local, providers there and they train them like they train midwives they train people to deliver in a safe manner and so um you know that's the goal the goal is not to bring in u.s doctors or u.s Mm -hmm. midwives to these places and work for a week that's not going to work you know the goal is to go into these uh developing countries and train the people who are there and live there um, you know, help build hospitals, help build cleaner facilities, train them to deliver in a safe manner. I, I think a lot of times, like we live in a
2: bubble, right? Like totally. we t- they live in a bubble. So sh- the goal of Every Mother Counts is to be like, step out of your bubble for one minute and look what's going on. And for us, we've always sort of known about that, right? Because we're, we're obstetricians we look, yeah. or residents. But I read this book, Half the Sky. I don't Oh my God. it's So I had read that book right around the time that uh-huh. I heard about this organization. And I was like, I have daughters, like, this is, we have to be so much more aware, and, I mean, again, who are we? I don't know, but we, like, we're like, let's use our voice to let other people know, and maybe with that, we can all, you know, help change the lives of someone.
0: Um, Now you're going to motivate me to go back and finish that book. It's so good. (laughs) That book's (laughs) one of those books where you're like, it's so good. And as you're reading it and when you get through it, you're like, oh, my gosh, I should be doing so much yes. more in my life. Like, instead of just going through these day-to-day motions, like, and then oh you kind God. of deal with this guilt, like, why am I not doing more? What can I do? You I, know? Yes. And I was like, well, our kids should know how fortunate
2: mm-hmm. they are. Like, we're women. Look what we can do. Like, we can do everything a man can do. So, like, and women... Uh, in other parts of the country, like they can't even speak. Like, Crazy. It's, it, yes, I read that. But don't read that book at night. If you want sleep anxiety, it'll, if you have sleep anxiety, it's going to make it worse. Right? I know I
0: should do it during the day <laughs>
2: Yeah.
0: on that topic real quick. Do you guys like, I feel like there's people now an uptick in people doing like home births with midwives and stuff would as doctors, would you ever do consider doing that? No. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I love midwives and I think that midwives are trained well, all, all for it. Home births to me are one of the most frightening things, and I totally understand wanting to be natural, not wanting to be hooked up to a monitor. Not, um, but I think that there's so many things that can go awry, and to me, being at home is just so scary.
1: Right. I mean, I'm all for like a birthing center where yeah. you can, mm. you know, God forbid. Again, the same reason like I didn't want to practice obstetrics. Like, when things go bad, they go bad quickly. Typically and they don't, and it's, it's devastating. And so, you know, yeah, 99 point whatever percentage of the time, you know, in a properly selected woman to do a home birth, who's got a good history, no risk factors, everything's going to go smoothly. But to me, it's not worth that percentage you know fraction of a percentage of a point if things don't go well so i i we're not obviously advocates of it i don't judge anyone i just want to make sure people are educated when they Mm -hmm. make that decision Mm -hmm. they should always make sure that their midwife is certified
2: that they have a backup that they have a backup
1: md that there's a plan um and you know so you know, at least if you're gonna do it, make sure you've really done your research and that it's responsible.
2: It sort of leads us to our post today, which was everything about like like birth plans. Like a lot of times mm. people come in with birth plans and like you have this idealized way that you want your birth to be. And we get it, right. Like we all want it to be like a magical, beautiful delivery. But like, in many ways, you have to let go of that because labor is so uncontrollable. And the and when you fight it, it only makes things like, you may wind up with a C-section, you and you wanted to deliver, like, in the bathtub. You may wind up with a huge, like, a piece of, you know, like, you never know, and, it, and you have to keep, like, your true goal in sight, which is a healthy baby, and be somewhat flexible about that.
0: So, well, my first one was a scheduled C-section, and then my second one was a VBAC, um, oh. and they, um, that was kind of the plan the whole time. We scheduled a C-section, like, a week out in case I didn't go on my own because they didn't want to induce me. And, um, it's funny though, when I went in, cause my water broke, they were kind of like, so are you going to do the, the back or do you just want to go ahead and like, go ahead and go back for the C-section? And I was like, I can just go back for the C-section now? Like what? <laughs> cause they, they make sure they really make sure that like, I really want to do that back because of my risk factor. Right. So, but anyway, my plan the whole time was to get an epidural and, um, I was like, I'll let it go for a little bit though. Well, I was just like a nightmare and I was so embarrassed. I apologized to the nurse like 5,000 times because I didn't realize how fast it was going to get bad. Like the contractions, yeah. right? Well, then this time I planned to get the epidural the whole time. I had a resident check check me. Um, it, she was a first-year resident. And when I came in, told me I was nine centimeters. Yay! Yeah. So I started crying because I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to get an epidural. Like I don't know <laughs> if I can do this without an epidural. I'm terrified. But if I'm nine centimeters, like there's no way I'm going to do an epidural because it's like done. Yeah. Um. And then another resident checked me and she was like, oh honey, you're only four centimeters. Oh, <laughs> oh no. So really like i was i was like actually pretty relieved although there was like this thrill thinking okay we just got here and i'm ready to go yeah yeah yeah. but truly i felt bad for the resident that told me i was nine because how embarrassed was she right (laughs) she was very embarrassed yeah but anyway my whole point was was like my plan was like gonna go in get my epidural lay around for eight hours you know then push and then i was kind of thrown off thinking Oh, we're going, and I'm gonna have to feel this baby being pushed out of my vagina without an epidural.
2: (laughs) You know, Uh, I had a preterm delivery the first time, so talk about not wanting to be like there. I like kept saying to Sheba, I don't really think I should go into the hospital. She's like, "Uh, yeah, you're uh, like I broke
1: your water at 34 weeks, and
2: I need to go to the hospital." But I was so in denial. I was like, "This is not my plan." I was not going to have it this way. and that She's point, like, I
1: wasn't supposed to have a preterm baby. Yeah. And I'm like, I kept nobody's that. supposed to have a preterm baby. Not it's not your, your plan. Babies.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you but just... it's helpful because I do think in a way, like having those experiences in yeah. life make you, uh, it's weird to say this, but make you a better, per- like well-rounded mm-hmm. person. Cause you're like, I got to ride the lows and the highs, you know? And yeah. so that helped, that did help. I don't know. But. How much did your baby weigh? That was 34 weeks she was four pounds, three ounces. That's why I always say like I had an easy, easy delivery. So I shouldn't like, complain. But... Now, was she in the NICU? Yeah. And that was again, eye opening to me because I used to be like, uh, okay, whatever. So your kid goes to the NICU. Mm. And I found it to be, I mean, they, I think they thought I was like psychotic because at first I'm like, I'm refusing to be induced. And they're like, Jamie, you must be induced. Like it's time. I'm like, No, I don't want my baby to go to the NICU. They're like, uh, she's going either way. I'm like, no, maybe I'll just sit here and wait till 37 weeks. I was like (laughs) acting like a lunatic. Then after I delivered her and it was time for me to go home, but she had to stay. And I feel like I'm a pretty tough, resilient person. Hysterical. My Mm. husband had to physically carry me out of the hospital. I was like, I I can't leave. And I appreciated so much more because as a fertility doctor, a lot of our patients do deliver preterm. And I never could appreciate what that experience was like having a child in the NICU, and going home without your baby until I did it. And it made me a much bigger pusher, actually, of a single embryo transfer as opposed to twins, because twins tend to deliver earlier than singleton. And I was like, uh, the NICU is a serious place. You really don't want your child going
1: there if you don't have to. So I mean, thank God for NICUs and the, the people who work there and the doctors and the team, but I always think it's just... I remind myself, like, you leave that hospital, and you're so, um, as you said, the emotions, the hormones, and, like,
0: to then leave the baby behind. Oh, I can't, can't imagine. It,
2: it's, yeah, yeah it, it's not. How
0: long was not. she in there? She was only there for nine days. She but was a, still. Girl, they,
2: uh, a grower and right. a feeder or whatever. Like, you know, you have to get to a certain mm-hmm. date and blah, blah, blah. Right. But, and I made friends with a lot of the other NICU moms who had been our patients. Like, I was a fellow, and mm-hmm. they were like, I know you, you're the fellow. So we would sit in that breast pumping room together and I was like, wow, this is a crazy experience. Like I am learning just so much more. Interestingly, we ran the marathon this year for something called Team Andy, which builds um, NICU rooms like adjacent to the NICU for parents to stay in. Now I was lucky I lived like, you know, 30 blocks away. I was a cab up, a cab down. But what if you live, you know, who knows how many miles away? Where, what are you doing? So the goal of this team is to raise money for these rooms. And, and, and it was like a very, you know, it's a cause that's near to our Well, the, near, n- the uh, NICU,
1: NICU's are built like a hospital ward. Yeah. It's a hospital ward. And so they're not really built with the intention to have parents there all the time or even part of the time. There's there, Many NICUs don't have a room for the parents to, to go and to change their clothes to rest. And so, you know, it's like you're coming in for visiting hours and then you have to leave. And that, you know, for this friend of ours who started this, um, organization raising money, she, you know, was affected by this and she had a child in the NICU for, I think a couple months. And, you know, she talks about her experience and then coming home and, when the baby finally did come home and like never having bonded, never having taken care of this child herself. I mean, there's so many layers of like pregnancy from the time you think about conceiving to being pregnant, to having that baby, then to being a mom. There's so many layers of, of just unknowns and things that can happen. And you know, what, what people go through and overcome and, and the obstacles that they're faced with. But, um, you know, we, we, we're in it because we see it a lot, you know, through our work. But again, it just makes us appreciate, you know, what we do have and, you know, how we are fortunate to live in this country and have great access to care.
0: Yeah. Um, Jamie, did you, was this your first or your second baby? first. I wonder how emotionally different it would be with a second or a third. I almost feel like it would be hardest if it was your first.
2: It was in a way because I didn't know any better. And I'm like, I also, there was so much fear because as doctors, like, we know what can go wrong, right? We know the worst. Like, a lot of times as a layperson, you're protected because you're like, okay, my baby's there. Everything will be fine. I'm like, "Uh, no, that doesn't mean it'll be fine. Like, we know the bad stuff that can happen. And I'm also I'm married to another physician, so it's like a double, you know, a double whammy. So I think that that makes you even more frightened because you know the potentials right. of what can be bad.
0: I can't imagine leaving the hospital without my baby. It's just yeah, crazy. no, that part is oh, that's got to be so tough. Um, best advice you've
2: ever been given. Oh, it's, see, I would say it's from Shiva. Like, I feel like her best, it's always, like, she's very calming, like, a centralizing force for me. I definitely, like, live world with more emotion. Like, I'm up and I'm up and then, like, so I feel like it's, it sounds stupid to say this, but she's very, um like, centering for me. Sort of, like, it'll be okay, and I know that sounds really weird in all aspects, like, but, like, it'll be okay. Like, that'll happen with your kids and it'll be okay it'll be okay. That'll happen at work. And I was like, she's right. It will be okay. One foot in front of the other. You'll wake up tomorrow and it'll be another day and we'll tackle this problem again.
1: But that's interesting that Jamie says that, that I'm that force for her because, um, one of the hardest days of my life, um, a couple of years ago, Jamie, like saved me on that day. Like, so I think I'm always like the one who's like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And like, so I was diagnosed with breast cancer and it hit me like a truck was very unexpected for all of us. And Jamie was the one who that day was like, we're going to figure this out. It's going to be okay. Like I couldn't even think I could hardly breathe. And like, she got me my appointment with the best possible doctor in New York city within like two days. And like, everything was fine, but everything is okay. And everything was okay. So, um, I guess in terms of like your best advice, it's, it's like, I think to have a partner like at all times, like yeah. some people who are going to have people who are going to have, have your back, you know, your, your partner at home, your partner at work, like your friends. Like, I think the best advice to give women is like surround yourself by good people who are going to be there for you through the highs and the lows. And that's how you're going to get through life. Yeah. You can't get sure. through life alone, you know? And so I think like, it like, like that would be like the best advice is just to like have you surround yourself by good people cut out the crap like you know it's that it's crass to say it but like there's like
2: don't don't have those people around you it's only going to make it so much more negative
0: i love that so much like i i have a newish friend in my life who i feel like could be that person i'm like gonna cry thinking about it Like Everything. i could see you were like almost tearing up um when um in in your experience of breast cancer i feel like that's like completely i i knew that you had gone through that and i read your article and i'm like i i gotta save that for like a whole another episode because it's a whole right. nother piece right. um but my my friend um when my son russ was born they had to run some hey they have an echocardiogram and all this stuff like right after he was born because his oxygen wasn't um high levels weren't high enough right away and I did not know what to do. I, you know, I didn't know anything. And I was just kind of like doing what the doctors told me. But my friend is what used to be a NICU nurse. And Uh, she was immediately, like, asking me all these questions. Like, have you asked the doctor this? Have you done that? And I was just like, whoa, I'm so glad that, like, you are here to be that voice for me because I don't know what I'm doing. Right. You know, and she didn't just, like, stand by silently and say, are you okay? Like, jump in and be the person. Like you said, Jamie made your appointment for you. Like, be the person. Right.
2: (laughs) My husband's like, you want my wife in a foxhole because she'll always get you out. I'm like, all right, (laughs) there is always a solution.
0: (laughs) Well, and it's like people always say when you're going through a hard time, like, don't just say to the person, like, let me know if you need anything because they're not going to be like, can you do this, this, and this for me? Like, just go do it, you know? Right. Right. And that's like
1: really when you have that inner circle that's who those
0: people yeah. are, you know? My phone might die because we're at 10% Okay, <laughs> yeah. Well, and we can wrap up too. Real quick, if you could have coffee or cocktail with anybody, who would it be? Oh, uh,
1: like who would be Salute?
2: You know who I always, it's sort of, I read her book and I just sort it's sort of lame to say it, but Cheryl Samberg.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah.
2: I loved her book and I know she got a lot of controversy because she had a lot of like resources to help her do everything mm, she did, of course, but yeah. I found it very empowering. And I was like, wow. And then particularly now with everything she went through mm-hmm. with her husband yeah. and, like, how she's really pieced her life back together. I think she's a really, like, an exceptional role model for women in many ways. And so I would love to, like, pick her brain. Like, I just really, I think she's pretty impressive. For sure.
0: Do you have one, Shiva? a bottle to Jamie. Oh. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, I'm going to let you guys go get on with your day. And I so appreciate your time. I know you're super busy. Thank you for thank having you so us. It was much. so nice to meet you. Let's do it again.
1: Okay, cool. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye. Hey guys.
0: Bye. Okay, you guys. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you, Drs. Jamie and Shiva for coming on the show. Just make sure you're following along on Instagram, lindseyhine626 and Twitter at lindseyhine. And don't forget to enter that Generation You Can giveaway, generationyoucan.com slash giveaway slash another and use that 15% promo code missionyoucan.com slash another promo code another all caps all right, guys have a great weekend and i will see you next friday